Hi, I'm Jake Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. Jake, welcome to another episode of Going Out with Jake Cornell. Um, we have one of my favorite episodes. I, I'm so annoying. I say this every fucking time. I'm like, my favorite episodes, but this episode is really one of, I think, the most special ones we've done. Me, Keith, and Katie all were like freaking out when we finished recording it. It was just so special. Um, but before we get into that, I need to catch up with my friend and producer, Katie. Hi, Katie. Hey, Jake. How are I'm, you? I feel like I haven't seen so you. in. I know. I haven't seen you in forever. Like, what's going on? It was good. I mean, we yeah, we had the long weekend, and then you were in. Um, I was in, in England. Yeah, I was in Brighton and London for a week, so I haven't like really talked to Katie at all or seen her until we had both got back to work today, um, which is not normal I for us. I need to hear about it. Okay, I have a lot to say. So England was really really great. I was there. I was in Brighton for four days, London for three. Lots of thoughts. Like, okay, first of all, well, one, I was. Like, you, especially in Brighton, like, you literally would not know COVID ever happened. There are, I when I'm telling you I saw not a single mask in Brighton, I'm telling you I saw not a single mask in Brighton. It was, like, cuckoo kachoo. <laughs> was it, like, the American South kind of like, vibes? Or I mean, I just not like, no. Like, I've been to Nashville, and that felt more COVID conscious. Like, it was just, like, they, like, literally, like, no masks, nothing, full capacities. It was, like crazy um it was like really wild to see you didn't even have to take a test to go there so that was like really wild my other thing that I'm like when I'm really and I used to feel this way when I was younger and I just back when it was like I time was a little bit closer to the time when I lived over there for a year but I prefer the drinking culture well mm, okay so here's the thing the drinking culture in England is I would say it's very different than ours. And there are aspects of it that I love and there are aspects of it I don't think are as healthy. And I want to pit, cherry pick from both American and English and like hybridize into the perfect version. Because like the thing is like, do I think like the American drink or the British drinking culture of like, it's totally social, socially acceptable to kind of like drink Shakira, Shakira, whenever, wherever. Like, it's like, it's like, I don't know that that's like the healthiest thing in the world. But like, the drinks in England are so much weaker. They are so much weaker than American drinks. And I love it. Like I. You're a proponent of like weak drinks. You're also a proponent of people might not know this about you, but Jake is a proponent of weak weed specifically orders weak weed. <laughs> yes. Wait, I want that. I'm literally like sponsor me dad grass. It's like my favorite product. I buy weak weed. That is that you can't, get too high on because I'm sensitive to weed. I, I'm like not that, like I have, a, I would say I have a pretty, I would say I have a higher than average alcohol tolerance. I can't, Brag. if I'm, <laughs> if I'm like, <laughs> like if I'm like out, if I'm like out and someone's like, oh, like, do you want a hit of this joint or whatever? Like it's, it's 99% of the time it's a hard no because like there is, for me, like one hit could make me 
way, 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 way too high. So I have to really lean into my dad grass, which is like intentionally really weak weed. I love that. Sorry, I got you off. No, track, it's right? not at all. But like, the, oh, I'm just like, okay, it's like, so there, a single in England is one ounce. So it's half of a single in New York. And for me, it's like, yeah, that makes more sense. Like, you can sip on these. It's just like less, it's more about like getting, it's like about, in England, it's about like catching a buzz. And in New York, it's about getting drunk. And I don't really care about being drunk. And I don't even really care, like, I don't know. I'm not like, when I'm drinking, it's part of like, it's being out. It's like, like actually, like like Nate and I went and checked out, finally got to check out Oddly Enough yesterday, which is that bar that is in the space of the restaurant that I was like promoing that had fully already gone out of business on the pod like a few weeks ago. Do you remember this? Yes. And, <laughs> and we went and they have like an NA cocktails menu and I we drank like non-alcoholic da- daiquiris that were like fully delicious. And I was like having a blast. And I was like, this isn't like it, it was just proof to me that like what I enjoy about going out is not intrinsic to the alcohol. It is about like having a nice beverage, like sitting with someone, being in a space with a bunch of other people. And so like being in England and like we were on like Saturday all of my like different friends from when I lived over there and, and like one of my best friend over there, her mom, her dad and her stepmom came down. We like all just like hung out on the seafront and we were like drinking for like hours. Like we were probably there for like five hours. And it's like, you're drinking like 4% beers or like single mixed drinks that have like an ounce in them. And it's like everyone, like no one was like wasted. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you can get wasted if you want, like do shots. Messy. Yeah, but then like on Friday when I got back, I went out with Nate and you know, like went to a gay bar and had like two gin and sodas and was like, I'm bombed. Like <laughs> because I've been drinking like low alcohol drinks and it's like I just like really do prefer the because I'm out for a long time and a good time. I'm not really like trying to go out at seven, get wasted and go to bed at nine. Like that's not really my vibe. So I'm just, I just wish the, I honestly like wish the drinks in New York were weaker and I'm starting to like, be like, what if I just asked bartenders to be like, can you just make me a gin and soda with a single ounce? Like I'll pay for a full drink, but just put a single ounce in. Like I might, I I might fully do that. I mean, they'd be like, you're an idiot, but sure. (laughs) But I don't think I am. I don't think I am. No, no, no. They're just like, okay, you're like overpaying for like this drink, but they don't care. Like my- my boyfriend Blake's mom orders her drinks week and we loved like we, we always shit on her because we're like you're overpaying for this like $15 cocktail she's like yeah but I want it week like she'll always just say to the I bartender think, yeah. but she'll order she'll order like a Brandy Alexander extra week and I'm like what that's <laughs> iconic that's iconic and psychotic that's so funny that is a glass of milk for an adult it's like really <laughs> That is, but no, I'm a really big proponent of weak drinks. But so I, that was like my thing. That was like a thing I was very aware of. Also, like, I don't understand, like, English. I actually think English food is like tasty. Like, I think it gets shit. Like, people shit on England. Like, people shit on England a lot to be like, oh, like the food is shitty or whatever. Like, I feel like that's something people say about England. I think the food is like, I think the food is like good. Like, I like fish and chips. I like meat pies. I like, like, halloumi they eat like a lot of halloumi randomly over there like i think the food is like fine my biggest issue is like i was like 
like I'm like, where do these people get fiber? Like everything is fried and bread and potatoes. Like I was like dying for a salad. I was like, my stomach hurts. Like I haven't had like I like was like, should I go buy like fiber pills? Like I just don't really know where like where the fiber is coming in on their diet. <laughs> yeah, I mean they don't have like a sweet green on every corner, but I feel like when I because you know I went abroad in um, London in college. Okay, well, I was bragging now. I know. <laughs> um, but I was like, I was like, when I was living there, I was like, you know, like, I like English food. And people were like, no, you like the food in the large metropolitan city you live in. You don't like English food. I didn't have like a fish and chip. I was like, oh, they have these cool little like salad bars. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know? like central London is like essentially New York food wise. Yeah, exactly. I was like, th- then I would like travel to other places. And I was like, I actually don't like the food here. At all. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that happened was we accidentally booked we didn't mean to book to be there for the platinum jubilee like but we were there for the platinum jubilee which i was like not prepared for um which is okay i don't know what that is okay so the on last friday was the 70th anniversary of queen elizabeth taking the throne and so every oh. year that she does that it's like called the jubilee it's like the birthday of her being on the throne and when it's like ever it's like a 10 year they make like a big deal about it and it's like you know how like anniversaries have like your fifth you're like for your 10th anniversary it's like diamonds or whatever. i literally have no idea what the rules are but they like have that for her jubilees where it's like it's like oh like this one's the platinum one because it's 70 it's it, which it just seems so arbitrary but like whatever but so they did like this like psychotic like huge like parade and then there was like this like there was like a parade and there was like a military like an air force flyover with like fighter jets like in london and we had planned like the way we did the trip was we planned one activity a day and then kind of did whatever else we wanted around that so it wasn't like overscheduled and the plan mm-hmm. for the day of the plan for the day that happened to be the jubilee like unintentionally by us was we wanted to walk from our Airbnb to the house from the Parent Trap because that movie was like a huge part of my, me and my sister's childhood was the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap. Oh, same. So we had to like walk like two hours across London to get to this house and like accidentally collided with the Jubilee as it was happening and they were like firing off cannons and then like there was like jets flying over and it was like London is under attack and then like at one point we like ended up right where the queen was and the crowds were like so scary we had to like deviate our route and it's like every single other person in England is like in London screaming for the queen and we're like we're just trying to get to Annie's house for fucking (laughs) and then we get there and there's one other American family also standing in front of the parrot trap house there to take pictures um so we got there in the end but it was like a a very intense experience i love that the parent trap was also a really big part of your childhood because that was that was the movie we had like on repeat my whole childhood it's so good yeah i mean it's a nancy myers classic it was it was like truly everything to my sister um and i by by default like an osmosis really took it in as well what have you (laughs) wait what have you been up to while i've been gone what have i been well you know i (laughs) had my quote-unquote graduation um from college which was uh, you graduated two years ago right I graduated two years ago and it was you know right when COVID had just like really started and so I um I didn't actually do like the whole like walking across the stage thing um I know my brother graduated high school the first year of the pandemic and their high school graduation was they had everyone take photos in their cap and gown on their front lawns and they played it in a powerpoint presentation on the public access channel (laughs) no (laughs) i was like 
stop. Like, I think that's worse, worse than not doing anything. My, my graduation was just like a Zoom meeting. Stop. <laughs> no. No, I didn't go. I was like, that's funny that, because that's it's funny because like things like that, that people miss like prom or graduation. It's like what's sad about people when you miss when you have to miss them is when you go to them, you innately see and understand like how they aren't that important. Like, oh, 100%. If you don't go to them, the you can't then ever know that they aren't that important. And it will, the, the absence of them feels greater than the presence of them. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Prom, like, Luckily, especially, I feel like. Yeah. Luckily for me, like, I'm not somebody that, like, cares that much about the actual, like, tradition and, like, of like eventness of all these things. I was kind of, at the time, pumped that I didn't have to have, like, my entire family, like, flying down and, like, yeah. I don't want to do this whole thing. But I was talking with my mom afterward because she came in for the for the fake graduation and we were like fake graduations are so much more fun you can like actually hang out with your friends you can like actually do what you want to do everyone was like not taking it too seriously so obviously like being hungover we didn't have to like pretend to not be we were just like yeah we graduated a couple years ago and we just came back and like are doing this whole like it's like we were all like knowing that it was silly while we were doing it and I think that was Part of it it's also like without that you like are graduating without the scary fear of like what's next because you're like two years into what's next right like I feel like a lot of time I mean not that I know because I didn't do it but I feel like I picture graduation being like sad and nostalgic and like that wasn't what my experience was because I was like yeah I already did I already like know that I'm fine after I left this place like yeah then- I didn't feel sad and nostalgic I think that like you know how like people are like people on the internet have been talking about like I feel like there's been a lot of discourse around like peaked in high school people and like making fun of people who like peaked in high school people. Yeah. I think there's also peaked in college people like. And what are the signs? Tell us about that. About peaked in college. I just think it's like. I want to know if I am one. Well, I think you can't be peaked in college until you're a little bit farther out than you are. Like. So I won't know for like several more years. Yeah, the symptoms don't really present. There's like a five year incubation period and then the symptoms start presenting. But it's like, my thought about it is it's just like, it's like if you're really someone who's like college was the peak and you've been feeling that way for years and you're like, I just missed college. I miss how my life was in college. I'm like, you need to make some changes to your life because like college is four years of your life. And like, if things go well, you're going to have like 90 like or like 84 other years of your life to like focus on so like maybe (laughs) maybe make some changes like you know what I mean like and I get it like I'm privileged in the sense that I don't have like a nine-to-five job that like I think you I think a lot of people look back on college and being like the absence of that nine-to-five job is what I'm like missing but it is like if that's truly oppressing you that much maybe look into alternative options I don't know I'm just sort of like also people who like um on the weekends are like let me are like recreating college partying. I'm like, you're chasing something that's gone. Like you need. I live in a building in the East Village where that's a lot of what goes down um, in the summer. Like you just see like these groups of like, like man boys kind of thing holding like. When I was working in the East Village, I would see them like polo shirts, khaki shorts, and like everyone has a six pack of White Claw just like marching down the street. And it's like, they're about to like really fuck up someone's floors. Yeah. They're always like, like just loud, loud and like violently drunk like waltzing into my lobby while I'm like 
out walking the dog about to head to like no. Union Square Market. I'm like, wow, we are really doing this whole summer thing Very different. Very different. And look, every <laughs> once in a while, I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm down to play a drinking game. Like, I'm into a drinking game once in a blue moon. But oh, yeah. like, we're not doing it every Saturday and we're not doing it that early. And we're not saying Saturdays are for the boys. So that's actually a huge rule is we're not saying Saturdays are for the boys. I don't know that I've ever said those words prior to this moment in my entire life. <laughs> that's just what I'm picturing. Like they're all kind of like chanting while they're like going to the bodega to get like, their 30 racks. What's there? I don't know. I think they all like I, – I get what you're saying now that you're saying the, the peaked in college people. And I know exactly the type of people you're talking about now. And I think that genuinely they all work – in, like not nine to fives I think they work way it's, later than no that. they work like crazy finance hours and that's what's actually crazy about them is it's like that's what's actually crazy about it is like they the people who are the most stunted I think are the people who go right from college into those like entry-level corporate positions because what's psychotic about that is like they're developing the least but also like the first people to be making six figures straight out so it's like you know you know what I mean it's like people who are working in like restaurants bars doing like whatever else like literally like almost anything else like they're like kind of like you know they're interacting with people older than them like that aren't in this like really toxic dynamics they're probably like meeting new people that they haven't met before they're figuring out their careers they're not on these like really prescribed paths and so they're probably maturing at a much faster rate but they might be making like forty five thousand dollars a year which like in new york is a fucking hustle that's like a that's like brutal but it's like, and then you have these fucking like these then you have these kids who are like on the weekends being like i'm gonna play we until 11 and then i'm gonna like, <laughs> We yeah. until 11. And then they're gonna, but they're making like $120,000 a year. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I have one day off a week. Like, they have no time to like really develop. That, yeah. <laughs> that's, it's, personality traits. Yeah. It's, it's actually, when you zoom out, you're like, oh, that's why it's all crumbling down. Like, it's all, you know, like, that's where this is all coming from. <laughs> that's a really good point. It's so funny because, like, I remember, like, when I first started, like, going on the East Village, I would, like, go into a bodega in the East Village and be like, why do the bodegas in the East Village have 30 racks? And then, like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh. <laughs> and, and then you, like, look around and you're like, oh, that's why. That's yeah. absolutely why. That's absolutely why. The boat shoes all start walking in. And I'm like, okay, Sperry's. I see what's happening. <laughs> like, those are the areas you know to avoid in New York. And I happen to live in that building. <laughs> Like all these people like walking into my building and then I feel bad for like, I feel like my building is like half people like that and then half like young families with like children and dogs and stuff. And I'm like, wow, like I feel like they must just be so annoyed on like this beautiful Saturday to hear like yeah. Post Malone bumping all day. Not Post Malone. I can't really. <laughs> oh, obviously Post Malone. I just can't imagine also like, I, yeah, I mean the idea of raising a child in New York is the most, I can't imagine anything more stressful. East Village specifically though, I'm like, damn, you're really like doing it. Yeah, like congratulations, you you played yourself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, wait, we have to stop talking so that we can get to the episode. This episode was so good. Katie and I were, okay, the, our guest, um, she is a food writer, she is a recipe developer, she is... Um, She's honestly just follow her Instagram. It is so beautiful. Like it is visually beautiful. Her recipes are incredible. Um, I just am like such a fan of hers and had so much fun talking with her. The way that she like 
the way that she describes food is we were fully salivating like dying like i finished that that we finished this recording and i was like i have to go eat food right now like it was so intense and like i've gone to several restaurants she's recommended her and i keep on trying to meet up and it's just then we're we're doing that nightmare thing of like each of us has like canceled once because of like things that have come up but we are going to be getting food soon um she is an associate food editor with Bon Appetit magazine. Um, go follow her at Rachel Gerjar. Please enjoy me going out with Rachel Gerjar. <laughs> How's your day going so far? So good. Good. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. Um, I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, I just, I, so obviously the show is about going out and I've seen a lot of like what you cook and like your really and like what you put out food wise, but I'm curious, what does going out look like for you? Well, I love a lot of street food okay. and a small ish restaurant. So um, if I were to pick between a fancy place and some nook in Chinatown, I would probably pick the nook. Yeah, I, that, I love that. Do you have some nooks off the top of your head that are like the ones you like to go to? Um, well, in Flushing, let's talk about Flushing. Please. I like, <laughs> I like going to uh, Maxi's Noodle. They do these like Hong Kong style noodles in soup they also do them dry and they're so delicious and light and comforting especially in this weather and then another place is called white bear and they do like home style dumplings and their dumplings and chili oil they're so good this is really good for me because I've been planning me and one of my best friends have been planning a flushing trip to do like a food tour and I've part of what has delayed me is the like anxiety about like an entire neighborhood and feeling like, you know, my stomach only has so much capacity. So getting some greatest hits to know that like those are two spots I can definitely know I'll have checked off is really good for me. Absolutely. You're going to have such a great time. I mean, it's, it can be overwhelming, but if you uh, bookmark spots, I usually like to just save them on my map and then create a little kind of tour situation and just hit that. Oh yeah. Wait, that's okay. So I recently, clocked my friend doing this this using google maps favorites folder is this what you do yes so i didn't no one i missed this call that everyone's (laughs) doing this and i'm really frustrated by it because my friend is like oh let me just hit my start and now suddenly my google maps tells me all the places my friends have told me about to go and i don't understand how i got to 2022 and i'm just now finding out about it i'm really irritated (laughs) well now you have the knowledge now i have (laughs) yes so obviously currently you work at Bon Appetit and, but yeah. I'm curious, like your journey as someone who works in food, I would love to hear about like how you got here. Like what even starting, when did your journey with food start? So I always loved food. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know that I wanted it as a career. Mm-hmm. I like to think of myself as a late bloomer and a little bit of a career changer. I worked in PR first um, and absolutely hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I, I cannot do this. So much respect, but like following up 10 times with people gives me anxiety to the max. So I was like, I can't do this. I know. I feel bad because I get PR emails and then I'll, and like sometimes if I'm really busy, I will see them and be like, I can't respond to this right now. And then like, 
and I'm in, in my mind, I'm kind of like, surely if I don't respond to this, they will just take that as a no. And then it's like four follow-ups later. And they're sort of like, my favorite is when you get the PR email that is sort of written, like, can you please just say no so that I can stop following up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my God. I feel so bad, but truly <laughs> it is such a hard job and I don't think everyone's cut out for it. Like, you need some real skills. No, I don't think I could do it. And I truly felt that when I saw that email, this was like maybe two weeks ago that I got the email. It was truly like, can you please just say no so I can stop emailing you? I was like, okay, clearly this isn't like even your choice. Like this is just how this job must work. And now I feel bad that I was just like, oh no, it's fine. I won't respond. It's, I don't want to do this thing. Um, but like, it's also I just- love, I love that they called you out on your show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just like some of the things that you get sent for PR, I'm like, I just like am laughing at the fact that the person, I'm like, there's no way the person, the PR person believes that this is a normal thing to do. Like I got, I got like invited to this thing. This has nothing to do with food, but I think it's, I got invited to this event that was like, and if this brand hears me, I'm sorry, I won't name you, but it was like the event basically worked where it was like, they were launching a new line of like eco-friendly sustainable like shoes or clothes or something but they wanted people to come and bring in clothes that they didn't want anymore and they would weigh them and the weight of the clothes equated to a dollar amount that you could shop for in the store and I was like sorry to just be clear you want me to bring my shit into a store and then you're gonna weigh it and then take it away and then I can buy new shit with the fake money you're gonna give me from weighing my old shit and they were like yeah and I was like I'm not doing that (laughs) I mean this is also happening in New York where it's like I feel my eyelashes are freezing off as soon as I step out of my building it was like the dead of winter and the event was in Soho I was like I'm not I live in Brooklyn like what do you want me to be doing with this (laughs) this is not happening I mean if they're are paying for an Uber, maybe, sure, but otherwise, no one's lugging their yeah. clothes on the subway. Okay, so you were in PR hell sending 200 yeah. follow-up emails. Oh, my God, yes. And I was like, I need to reevaluate my life. I live in Mumbai. It is, in my opinion, one of the greatest cities in the world. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to do this. So what do I want to do? And straight up made a list of things I like and things I don't like. And food just seemed like a recovering, recurring theme. And food mm-hmm. just seemed like a recurring theme. I went with this proposal to my parents and was like, I want to travel and I want to do something in food. And my dad was like, both are very bad ideas because <laughs> I worked in food. <laughs> And um, you don't make a lot of money. You got to give up your weekends. I will support the traveling part, but, you know, the only way to travel for a lot of people is to get a student visa. Mm -hmm. And my dad pretty much was like, and this is a privilege. He was like, this is the last degree I'm paying for. So you better make something out of it. Totally. And then I came to culinary school in New York and I worked all through college catering, you know, being a barista, being a a hostess, being a cocktail waitress. I worked back of house as a prep cook, line cook, um, private chef in New York uh, at a catering company. And then again, I realized that I cannot fucking open a restaurant. I'm alone here. I don't know anybody and I don't have investors. I also realized that it is a huge risk to open a restaurant with your own money. 
there I was again with a notepad make writing the <laughs> pros and cons and I was like okay still love food what else can I do with it and I realized that food media and just being creative with food like you could do all of these things you could be a food photographer you could be a stylist you could yeah. be a recipe developer and anytime I was not cocktail waitressing I was you know, I picked up a camera and learned how to photograph. I was taking free courses. I was learning how to build a website, you know, trying to build my social media and just kind of immerse myself into the food media community, which is not easy. By the no, way. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's notoriously a hard world to get into a little bit. Uh, yes. Wait, so how long have you been in New York? Seven and a half years. Oh, wait, same. That's like right around where I'm at. I moved here in June of 2014. Nice. Where did you move from? Vermont, where I grew up. Oh, wow. I haven't been heard such great things. Don't go in the winter, but definitely okay. check it out in the summer. Burlington in the summer is like amazing for food, especially for food. Like really great. Awesome. What is your favorite restaurant there? Damn. Um, I, there, uh, so Hen of the Woods is this restaurant that's like in the, I think it's called Hotel Vermont. Mm-hmm. That is like a really, really gorgeous room like the way they designed the room there is really beautiful and it's like really focused on like local Vermont ingredients and that mm-hmm. what it's I think I love going there now because it's the sort of thing that in college and I mean it's it's an expensive restaurant but then you move mm-hmm. you live in New York and then the expensive restaurant in any other town is like moderately cheap you know <laughs> so like, it feels I can afford this <laughs> exactly so hen of the woods and then there's also I feel like the restaurant that kind of like really changed the Burlington food scene is this restaurant called farmhouse that's really special mm-hmm. um I mean it's all it's all about restaurants that are like pulling from the local ingredients in in Burlington you know um, but yeah, I think for Vermont, it's all about like these restaurants. I mean, they they have access to like incredible produce, incredible um, like livestock, like the meat and the dairy nearby is so great. So like the places that are kind of sourcing ingredients really locally and then making really delicious food out of them. It's like kind of what you're there for. And there's like local beer and like local spirits. So it's just like, it's a lot of Vermont stuff, which is That's great. amazing. I'd love to go. Yeah. So did you grow up in Mumbai and then New York was the next yes. location? So I'm curious if I'm, I've never, I've never met someone who grew up in Mumbai um, or has even really like spent much time in Mumbai, I think. And so I'm curious, like what going out and like the restaurant nightlife scene in Mumbai versus New York, can you give me a comparison? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, New York is, sorry. So Mumbai is very famous for you know, it's street food as well. So usually when we go out in Mumbai, I remember kind of um, meeting up at someone's house and um, Mm pre-gaming. And then you don't eat before. Uh, You would either go out to a bar, which kind of turns into a nightclub scene. You would probably hit two, three spots over the course of the night. So you start with like a bar scene and then around one o'clock you would go to a club club. Yeah. Which would keep going until four or five, sometimes 6 a.m. Damn. And you would hit these um, stalls that do everything with eggs. So they would make scrambled eggs, like masala scrambled eggs. They would do over easy eggs. They would do, you know, well done eggs. They would do omelets and you could get like sandwiches um, made with the eggs. And then they would serve it. My favorite dish was like getting over easy eggs with this like spicy tomato onion mix thrown over it. Like 
crispy fried in butter and they would serve it with Mumbai pao, which is kind of like a bread. You you can't get the, that bread anywhere else except for in Mumbai. It's so good. Like the perfect food to eat when you're drunk. Oh my God. Wait, so you're like, you're deliberately skipping dinner knowing like we're going to party and then have a late dinner. Yes. Like when we really need it. Yes. Damn. And then another thing is pav bhaji stall. So pav is the same bread that okay. I was talking about. And bhaji is kind of like a, a vegetarian chili mash, but Ooh. so much better. Just like spiced with so many wonderful things and lots of butter. And imagine kind of like dipping that pav in the bhaji and eating. And they give you kind of car service because it's literally a stall on the street. So if you're in a rickshaw, if you're in an Uber, if you're in your car, they'll come take the order. So you're sitting in your car and they'll give you full on restaurant style service in your car. I've never been sold on a night out more in my life, Rachel. Like truly, like I'm like dying for this. This sounds incredible. Like really savory, but like rich and buttery food that's like spicy and you've been drinking. Like I'm, uh, (laughs) And if you love non-vegetarian food, you have some restaurants that will like function as restaurants in the day, but at night they'll have a special counter, which does kebabs, like kati rolls made with that. My favorite in Bandra uh, from Moti Mahal is a late night butter chicken roll uh, with pickled onions and green <laughs> chutney. Again, so you will get this in your car. Oh my God, this sounds so fucking incredible. And what are you, what are you drinking on a night out in Mumbai? Like what are, what's the, what's the vibe there? So back in the day, (laughs) (laughs) we would start with like chilled beers, but oh my God, I can't believe I'm sharing this. Like (laughs) I would like to drink a vodka and Red Bull. I mean, here's the, wait, can I be perfectly honest with you? Yes. I'm in 2022 having like a sort of personal vodka red bull renaissance (laughs) (laughs) they're good they're okay i will say and i will die on this hill i do think red bull tastes good and i feel like people need to stop saying that it doesn't i like the taste of red bull and sometimes i want to stay out and i'm tired and i'm not (laughs) at a i'm not in a you can't order an espresso martini at a gay bar so i'm getting a vodka red bull (laughs) will you get thrown out if you do so (laughs) It's like six deep at the bar and when we're like, do you have an, do you have espresso? I'll do cold brew. Like, no, you need to get a vodka fucking Red Bull. <laughs> I will say New York has spoiled me that way yeah. because I was introduced to really delicious cocktails here. So now when I go back and also the scene has changed back in Mumbai, you get amazing Indian inspired cocktails and there's so many awesome bars that will make yummy ones. And back in the day, you know, a cocktail was vodka Red Bull. Yeah, mixed drinks. Wait, I'm curious, what 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 would um, what does an Indian-inspired cocktail look like? Like, what ingredients get incorporated in, or, like, styles? I would say, do you know what curry leaf is? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a fresh herb, so maybe a gin-infused, a curry leaf-infused gin, oh. gin and tonic, or uh, something with coconut milk and um, cinnamon, or... There's this fruit called kokum, which is really tart and tangy. So you can infuse and make a simple syrup. I'm actually going to make a cocktail with this at a pop-up next month. Oh, fun. Something like that, yeah. The, um, 
the restaurant I worked at, the last restaurant I worked at before I left was this place called Kindred that's in the East Village. And it's right around the corner. Um, it's on 6th Street, right around the corner from that Indian market on on 1st yeah. between 5th and 6th. Um, that's like yeah. under, in a basement. And when we were like designing new cocktails, sometimes we would just go in there and look at all the different like dried spices and herbs and leaves and stuff and be like, what can we shake up? What can we mix? And it was so fun because it's like those markets are just the best because it's like rows and rows of flavors and like variations and teas like we did so much stuff with teas and stuff yeah yeah i lived on sixth street so this was meant to be oh my god no way (laughs) yeah i lived on six between a and b and i worked at mother mother of pearl at one point i loved mother of pearl wait mother of pearl was so iconic yes i'm kind of sad that it doesn't exist anymore. Mother of Pearl was so. Are any of the restaurants in that, or any of like the bar restaurants in that group still around, or does that hold? Yeah, group? yeah, they are. I think they changed San Fuegos to something else. But that space is still like them. Uh, Death and Co still exists. So. Oh, I forget that they're Death and Co. Okay, yeah. Um, I loved Mother of Pearl and San Fuegos so much. Those were such fun nights out. Super fun. The cocktails were amazing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what when when you moved from mumbai to new york in terms of like the restaurant scene and the going and like the nightlife scene i guess both what were like some of the differences that kind of like did or i guess i should ask were there any differences that were kind of like jarring or like whoa this is like surprising to me um let me think about that for a minute i'm trying to think of the first time i went out um when i came here I realized that I couldn't afford anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a downer, but I, like no, in my so head, real. I was converting everything. <clears throat> in my head, I was converting everything from dollar to rupees, and it's hard not to do that as an immigrant. Absolutely. But I realized that people were way more relaxed in the sense the pressure to dress up was not there which was nice like you could just walk into a bar you're not supposed to be in like heels and full-on club wear so I kind of appreciated that Uh, and I also saw that a lot of um, single women were out like me you know no one that you you weird if you were by yourself at a bar having a drink whereas I would feel weird going out by myself in India like that oh that's nice I love that I definitely yeah. experienced when I, I lived in England for a year and was like for the first like week I was like oh I'm really underdressed like and I don't even have like the and that was like as a guy like I was like oh the like standard level of what is expected just to like go to a bar after 8 p.m. is like significantly higher. Yes. Oh and a couple of other things. So dive bars don't exist in Mumbai. I really? don't really think they do. Yeah. So it's, it's like, really nice bars. It's just all interesting that's so interesting to me what do you think that is like do you think i'm so curious what that would be i um i think drinking culture among young people at least is not that old compared to the united u.s you know there isn't there literally hasn't been time for the bars to dive (laughs) (laughs) exactly um that's so interesting i think that's it i think it's time yeah that's, it's time culture. That's so interesting. Yeah, you kind of forget that, like, 
I that is like it's funny when you see a bar in New York that's doing like I say like dive bar drag where it's like I know for a fact that this bar opened up in a brand new space six months ago and they've like paid money to make it kind of look like shit because they like want it to be a dive bar. <laughs> you haven't been here forever. No, it's like it needs to smell like old beer. Like if you really want to be a dive bar, it needs to smell bad. Unfortunately. Yeah, and and the second thing I noticed was. Of course, the cocktails. Uh, um, yeah, cocktails. What cocktails? Like, what were the co- what were your go to cocktails like when you were getting into cocktails? I started with a margarita. I yes, same. Basically. That was my first love. <laughs> you can never beat a, a good margarita, but you know, drinks that use egg whites. I think it freaks people out, but I absolutely love them. Same. I love like a good whiskey sour. It's so delish. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So now that we've been in the game for a while in New York, what does going out look like for you now? Like if you're going to have a night out? Actually, yeah, I had a night out last Saturday. So I'll just take you through that. Oh, I love this. Okay, yes. <laughs> so last Saturday, you know, as adults, I think you try to squeeze in um, whatever chores or work you have to do even on the weekend. I think that's just the reality of life. So I met up um, with, Eddie's because we're going to do a pop-up together at four o'clock and then I met my friend for early dinner and we went to I think it was birds of a feather yeah birds of a feather okay I have to try it um and it was super delicious had early dinner there then I went to please don't tell aka PDT which is a speakeasy in East Village iconic lucky because my friend Santi works there so (laughs) We don't have we don't have a three hour wait, but had they just changed their cocktail menu, so had some cocktails there with a friend, and then I went to the Ready. It's a rooftop bar again in the East Village, and just kind of hung out there, had more drinks, and did a nightcap at this bar called Jack Daw. I didn't pick up my, at that point. Oh. I'm just going. To <laughs> Jack Daw's on like 13th and Third, right? Yeah. Yes. I went there once and too. That sounds like a great night. It has a little bit of that Mumbai element of like hopping, maybe without the club, unless the roof was clubby, but like the hop. The roof can be clubby if you want it to be. Yeah. I haven't done a roof yet this year. It's actually been a minute since I did a roof. (laughs) I mean, rooftop bars can be intense, like the standard where it's full blown like club. Yeah. Too intense for me, honestly. <laughs> and then they can be like the ready. So it's kind of chill if you wanted to. There was a group of people dancing. You can fluctuate, which I love. Yeah, I think I get, I think there's an anxiety with rooftops because you can't like window shop them. Like you have to get in the <laughs> elevator and go up and like get off and be like, oh, okay, it's this vibe. And then you have to like get back in the elevator. I think like the claustrophobic in me is like, I'm trapped on this roof. <laughs> yeah, yes. You're either in or you're out. There's no in between. <laughs> Very much so. It's like, um, have you ever gone to like the bars or restaurant in K-Town where you like have to take an elevator up to them and then you like, you don't know like what the restaurant's vibe is until you get off the elevator and then it's sort of like, well, we're in the restaurant now. So we, (laughs) this is where we are. I went to a fried chicken place. I can't remember the name, but that was in K-Town and the vibe was exactly how you describe it. You just get shoved into the elevator and it opens and like, oh, okay, I'm here. And like, there's also like people in there that are like going to their office. It's really bizarre, but I love it. (laughs) I love it. I love K-Town so much. I love K-Town and I'm trying to explore it more and like get, cause like the, it's so fun and there's so much to do there and it's like so small. Like it's, they've really condensed a lot in there. 
Okay, you have to go to this place called. Wait, please. Let me make sure that I'm pronouncing it right so that I don't butcher the name. It's called Dojango. See, I forget names. That's it's not good. Well, that's because you are smart enough to save them in your Google map, and I'm the one that has to memorize. Which is literally why I do it. (laughs) Because I'm like that place, that one place that I went to. You should go to, and people are like, "What place?" And I'm like, "Okay, oh, there you go." Thank you, Google Maps. The place is called Cho Dangol. Okay. And it's a Korean kind of home style restaurant. And the vibe is very much like you go in and you're told what you're going to eat. Yes. You got to go. You got to go. There's no time. I love this. I love the servers. They're like older Korean women. It's very like mom vibes. (laughs) And it makes you feel so cozy and comforting. Sometimes you don't even know what you're eating. And I'm give it to me all yeah i'm i love that i love a place that's like this is what we do take it or leave it it's like i Absolutely. love that i love having the choice taken for me i don't really want to choose <laughs> that is exactly that yeah i had that experience at coat which i think is also korean but yes. it's like a steakhouse where it was like this is what you're eating and i was like fantastic i love this <laughs> they have a great bar too coat coat have are you talking about the bar in the restaurant or the speakeasy underneath both they're both really cool they're both vibes are immaculate yeah i describe coat as a sex in the city restaurant like it makes me feel like because it's like so like spectacular and beautiful and kind of dramatic yes yeah i went to coat for the i was there for like a diageo dinner with these people i used to work with and it was it was very fun but there were pairings with dinner and our table was running like three minutes behind. So they were like at the bar. They were like, oh, let, can we get you drinks like while we were waiting for the table? And we were like, sure. So we all ordered a round of martinis and then immediately get set. So we had full martinis. And then the first, we didn't realize what there were pairings with the dinner we were having. And the first course was oysters paired with a Vesper. And so suddenly we all have two martinis in front of us. And it was like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> I love that for you. Did you walk out of that restaurant or crawl? Um, I walked, but one of my coworkers, it was like, I watched like one of my coworkers. I was like, you have to get in the car before I feel comfortable going home. Like we need to make sure you get in the car. And she got in the car like head first. <laughs> I was like, this is cause it was like, cause as you, I don't know if you heard what I said, but it's, we had a full martini plus another martini and the pairing was one oyster. So it was, <laughs> we were fucked. That is the perfect base. For <laughs> um, what was I just gonna ask? Um, where? Oh, okay. Wait. So, at, while we're doing restaurant recommendations, where would you say are the places to get like Indian or like Mumbai adjacent food in New York? I'm glad you asked. Absolutely, go to Damaka. Go to Semma. Um, is Damaka the one? The one in Essex Market, the new one. Yes. I'm dying to go there. Truly dying to go there. We get the pamphlet fry, which is a whole fried fish. It's my favorite kind of fish. Okay, good. This is exciting to me. I've heard Thank really you. good things about that restaurant. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I do. Are you, a, uh, are you an adventurous eater? Yeah. My only caveat is that I'm allergic to specifically shrimp and no other seafood. I love all seafood. I just can't eat shrimp. Okay. Will you eat goat brain? Um, sure. <laughs> try it it's very creamy it's <laughs> kind of like 
foie gras. Okay. Do they serve yeah. it at Damaka? I think so, yes. Okay. Go. Train. I don't know if they still have it on the menu, but. Okay. Did. So wait, I but I cut you off. So that's a good restaurant. What are the other spots? Another small spot is called Spice Symphony, and they do amazing Indian Chinese food. Have you heard oh, of this? Before? No, 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 no. Okay. So India has um, a great kind of history of Chinese food, which was Indianized by, you know, Chinese people who immigrated to India back in the day. And it is so delicious. It is one of my favorite foods on this planet. I am addicted to chili chicken. Order the chili chicken and the chicken lollipop if you go there. Chicken lollipops are basically the wing part of the chicken. And they kind of push all of the meat up. And then they like batter it in corn flour and all-purpose flour and a couple of spices and deep fry it. And then they'll give you a shazwan chutney. But they're going to give you the white people chutney. (laughs) Kind of like a mayo sauce. So, Devin, I don't want this. I want Shazwan sauce, which you serve Indian people. Okay. This episode, I have never been more like you. The way you describe food is painful to me. I'm so yeah. hungry for everything you've described. I need to go to all these restaurants and fucking Mumbai. So, like, now I'm. Come to Mumbai with me. Yes, let's go. Oh. Done. That would be perfect. That sounds. So good. And I think I'm confident I could handle the spice level. I think I could make it work. Yeah, I think so. I I, I have full faith in you. What is, wait, I'm curious. Is there like any, if you were to like be having like an Indian dinner, is there a traditional thing to be drinking with that? Or is like drinking, like you said, or is drinking culture fairly new to India? So it wouldn't be traditional to be drinking like a liquor with it or a spirit or alcohol. Drinking culture is fairly new to India as in, At least in my family, I think the first drink I had with my dad was just a few years ago. Oh, okay. You would drink with your friends when you went out, but drinking with your family is, I think, a very modern idea that a lot of people do. It's very, very fun. I love drinking cocktails. I like drinking wine with Indian food. I like pairing lighter wines I was going to say, I feel like there's so much like juicy, delicious, like red and like maybe some rich whites that would pair so beautifully with all of the, like those spices, the like richness, like. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think a buttery Chardonnay would be great for appetizers because, you know, your taste buds are getting activated with all of the spices or something super dry. It make the spices sting more and not in a good way, I think. Yeah. You need something kind of fatty. Yeah. And then for reds, if, you know, with the deep curries, I think a Pinot Noir style wine is just perfect for me. But again, you don't have to be snobby about wines. I think it's about what you like to drink. 100%. And finding a way to pair it with whatever food you're eating. 100%. Yeah, I think, God, that, yeah, it, oh, that sounds so good, those wines. <laughs> okay, last restaurant, you have to go to Semma. It's by the same chefs at Dhamaka, but Semma is a South Indian style restaurant. Okay. Where in the city is that? That's in the West Village. Oh, okay. Great. I'm going to go. it's fairly new. Okay. Incredible. But the food there is amazing. Get the dosa. Get, um, you said you're allergic to shrimp, um, but there's, there's so many things. That you're going to like everything. So. I love that. Oh, okay. So 
to bring it back to your cooking and like your um when so when you came to so I'm I'm assuming growing up in Mumbai like you were growing up cooking Indian food. Yes. And then is that what you carried through when you started to cook professionally or were you kind of like interested in trying different cuisines like what was that journey like for you? Great question. So <laughs> I <laughs> I came here to go to culinary school and culinary school, like the techniques and way of food is purely French. Right. You know, so it is a good way to understand um, like the core concepts of cooking. But I realized that that's not what I want to cook. I want to cook my food more and I want to bring my perspective and my perspective is my culture. Yeah. And initially I was trying to run away from it, but I realized that if I want to get to know myself better, if I want to get to connect with my ancestors, my food, my country, I need to go back to my roots. So I try to find ways to incorporate that through ingredients and techniques and stories um, in my recipes. Yeah, I think I was I was thinking about that when you mentioned culinary school at the beginning of the interview because I was like, I don't think people realize that. Like when you go to culinary school in America, it's just by default that everyone's learning a French base, which yeah. is so interesting because like I I go to like a French restaurant maybe twice a year, literally mm-hmm. if that. Do you know what I mean? I guess like the closest I would go to is like going to like an American bistro that is probably like very highly French influenced. But I just think it's so interesting that American cooking culture is still like the culinary world is completely based like as though like the backbone of all cooking is French Mm -hmm. and that every other culture Mm -hmm. is like, is like spined off of that, which is, I mean, obviously not true. That's not how, if cooking is culture, that's literally insane. But I just think it's so interesting that that's how the system is set up in not just America. I think it's probably in like a lot of, I think it's like European in general is kind of, or Western culture in general kind of focuses like the French cuisine. And if you're coming from like, an, like if you're coming from a different background, why I just, it, it, it's strange to me that that's how it works here. And so I was curious what that experience was like. It was educational. Absolutely. You know, a lot of things, it gave me vocabulary to describe a lot of things that I didn't know how to before. In sure. Terms of um, but I realized that I come from such a rich history that I was entrenched in that I also don't know that much about Uh made me realize and it gave me the drive to educate myself and push myself to explore what I already come with that I don't even know I have. Yeah. Like what do I know innately that I take for granted? That's actually like useful knowledge. That's such an interesting process to go through. It's kind of like, like mining your own just baseline. Yes, which is why my trip this time in December was so eye-opening and it it was so important. And that was you going back to Mumbai? Yes, I went back to Mumbai after three years. Not only Mumbai, I also got a chance to go back to Madhya Pradesh, which is the central part of India where all of my extended family lives and is from. Cool. And how long were you there? About a month. Uh, amazing. I'm so glad you got to do that. Yeah. And so were you like actively researching food there or was it kind of you, just you being back in the culture and like reconnecting? Like what was that, this process like for you? It was both. 
um, I think just experiencing that is research for me. And I made a conscious effort to document things, not only because I wanted to share with, you know, people who um, support me and see my work, but for me itself, you know, to look back. And when you're in the moment, you've been waiting to see your family, to eat your food, to like be among your people, to just absorb everything. It's hard because, you know, you're documenting, you want to experience it, you want to be happy, you want to be present. It's a, totally it's even for me. <laughs> so um, it was, it's nice to like have that document. And, you know, if I'm just sitting on my couch, I'm like, okay, let me look, let me, let me look at what I did that day. And then I'll catch things that I was like, oh, I missed that, but it's in the video. It's in the photo. That's so special. It is like always so stressful to find that balance of like, I don't want to like not document any of it. I always err on the side of like, I stay too present and like don't take any photos and then I'm like sad. But I think, and it's like hard because you have to find that balance of like, I want to experience this, but I also want to save it and like be able to look back at these photos and remember it. So it's, I'm glad you found that balance. And I think that's why you have to go for a long period of time. Like that's why you need that time to do both. You have to. And what I realized was, it's you should just capture and not post immediately you should just capture and be present and then you post at a different time or you you know share it at a different time so that um you can do a little bit of both while you're there yeah i think just like taking a bunch of because it it, it's the the taking of the photo is not what takes you out of it it's the editing and the captioning and the post like that's all so separate but i think just like snap and pics is like you're not not present i think yes I think that's the key. Yeah, that's, I think that's good advice. I think that's very good advice that um, I think people should hear. It's like, you can take as many pics as you want, but don't post till later because that's what's going to take you out. Yes. So, so true. So, what, what, wait, so, okay, another thing I'm curious about, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but there's so many interesting things to talk about. So, you said you worked in service when you got to New York. Yes. Had you worked in service in Mumbai? No. Okay. Again, so, the culture is so different there. Right. That's kind of what I was curious about is like, as someone who's worked in service in New York and then I'm, and gone out a bunch in Mumbai, like what, in terms of service styles and working in, like, what are those differences? I just respect people more in the service industry. Yeah. And not that I like didn't respect them before. I value and see the other side. And that just makes me even more conscious about how I treat them. Again, the service style has changed when like seven years ago, you did not see a lot of young people bartending or being servers or even pursuing food the way that people pursue it today. Um, And it was really nice to see that in India, you know, Mm -hmm. young people who are passionate about cocktails, about, you know, you know, spirits and liquor and food, just being so excited to make a dish or work in a restaurant and make a drink and present it to you. Yeah. that. Did I answer your question? Kind of. Yeah. I think like that it does. I think I was also just curious, like what the different, like what does the style of service look like in Mumbai versus the style here? But also that was very fascinating what you just said. Okay. Um, I think it depends on where you are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think in smaller places, I, I think in New York, it's a little bit more formal. Yeah, totally. 
and I think you kind of expect less of your service person in some way. Uh, I will talk about something. So when you go to a restaurant in New York, you don't expect, if you went to a family style restaurant in New York, the server will put your food down and walk away and you're responsible for serving yourself, right? Yeah. In India, when you go to an Indian restaurant or any restaurant, the server will actually serve each person every dish in their plate. Oh, no way. Yes. Interesting. And if the server doesn't do that, it's odd. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. I think that this is like, you you learn, you start to clock these sort of like really subtle differences when you work in service in New York because like you'll have... Like, I think that almost kind of ties back what you were saying, where it's like things that you don't realize that you perceive as innate that are just like cult, actual cultural differences. Like you'll have, especially when you're like ser- like serving international tourists in New York, you'll have like a table be like, wait, why the fuck aren't you serving our food? And to me, I'm like, why the fuck would I serve your food that way? You know what I mean? It's like you kind of have to, everyone has to remember to like bring that kind of graciousness. Like we're all really trained differently on what like the baseline of normal is. Yeah. And in India, it's weird now I noticed in upscale restaurants, they'll ask you about allergies, but in small restaurants, no one asks. You just like, you eating. Totally. <laughs> You're just eating it. <laughs> totally. What now, like working in food media and like doing like everything you're doing, what now has you really excited about? Like what is, where are you kind of finding your passions leading you towards? And like, what are you excited about in your work? I'm excited about finding my voice. I think that just navigating this industry as a person of color, as a woman, as an immigrant has been quite challenging. So I'm excited to um, find my voice and then kind of share that through my work, share things that I learn about my culture. I'm excited about learning new things about other people's culture. There's so many talented people here and I just want to like absorb and then share what I have. I think it's so exciting and special and cool the way that you're kind of framing it and experiencing it, which is like people are going to get to learn about what you have to share by being along with you for the ride as you figure that out for yourself you know, yes. and it's not this thing of like, here's all this stuff I have and I'm presenting it and I already, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like people can come along with the journey with you of figuring that out and learning that and discovering. And that is also probably infinite and endless because self-discovery like always is. And I think it's really special that that's what you have to offer. And that's like what's growing right now for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I would be afraid to make mistakes before, but now I think my mindset is changing to, you know, I am probably going to make mistakes and I want to show you those mistakes because it's fine. And we, I can learn something new and you can learn something new with me through my mistake. Yeah. And that's so true of culture and food, right? It's like, the, and that's, I mean, cause they're, they're so such parallels. It's like yeah. in cooking mistakes are sometimes what create, I mean, there are some of the most famous dishes in the world were created from a mistake, you know, and like culture is, grown and developed and shared through faux pas and through misunderstanding and then rectification and communication. So it's kind of beautiful to see those overlapping in such a way. Absolutely. Yeah. 
what are um what are your like what are other restaurants i just want now i just want to like hash out bars and restaurants that we love <laughs> i feel like what like what are your favorite like bar spots to go out in new york where what are your favorite places to eat that aren't like just everything i just want us, us to compare notes now Ooh, okay so have you been to pouring ribbons yes yes love pouring ribbons um I like I said, I really like dive bars. <laughs> it sounds like you love a fancy cocktail bar or a real divey dive. Both. Yeah. De- like just for a nightcap, you know, some days I want to go to a divey dive bar and some days I want to go like to a fancy cocktail place. What are your dives? Let's share. I um, love a dive. The one on 6th Street, the one right next to the McDonald's on 6th Street. International so- bar? Huh? International bar. No, the one after International Bar, but it's hidden next to the McDonald's. Hold up. That's a place that the public can enter? I thought that was like a... <laughs> you can go in and you will get yelled at while you're ordering. It's so bad. get yelled at. Wait, I truly did not know that that was... I don't... You have to go. You have to okay, go. I have to go immediately. Oh, um, oh my God. See? I don't have it bookmarked because like I've been there so often. I was just like rolling to that bar. All the time. I'm looking it up for you, though, because you should go there. If it's next to international, I know exactly where it is. I love Johnny's. Do you know Johnny's on um, 12th and Greenwich? It it just has a blue sign that says bar. You wouldn't really know it's called Johnny's unless you looked at the the chalkboard on the inside. And then McManus on um, 17th and, or what is it? I fucked 19th and 7th. Oh, fun. Really good. Those are my two big dives. And um, it's called Coal Yard Bar. It's right next to it. Coal Yard Bar? Yeah, that's a dive. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I told you. I like Park Bar too. It's in like Union Square and I never really want to go anywhere in Union Square, but I would go to Park Bar after working at ABC Kitchen. Yeah, there is that's Union Square. It's funny that you say that because Union Square and the area around it is actually a treasure trove of specifically dive bars because... There are so many brutal restaurants to work <laughs> in that area where people need to immediately drink after. And it's like, because I also used to work in a Union Square adjacent restaurant. And our our spot was Barfly, which is over on 3rd Ave. Wait, I know Barfly. We all know Barfly. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I've had some nights in Barfly. But like every, it's so funny because I feel like every restaurant, ABC, Union Square Cafe, like all of the restaurants in that area each have their own dive bar and it's like it's like a sister it's like it's so funny to me how that works in that area yes <laughs> yeah but barfly i have some oof i can give myself a hangover just thinking about barfly <laughs> <laughs> i love that um yeah any other restaurants that are like top tier for you um what have i been to recently you know i Oh, have you been to Ugly Baby? I haven't even heard of this. Oh my God, you have to go. You have to go to Ugly Baby. Where and what is it? It's in Brooklyn. And they do Northern Thai style food. They have very spicy food. Okay, I'm down. They warn you. They're very good about that, which is great. Good. Um, So definitely go there. And have you been to Mace? It's in... um, it's in the East Village. I've walked by it a million times and haven't gotten yet. 
Yeah, I think they have another branch in the West Village that they opened. Branch. Oh, my God. <laughs> location. <laughs> yeah, location. I'm not talking about banks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so go to... Um, Ugly baby and go to Mace. Okay, Mace perfect. I think that you and I should have a night out because it sounds like we have very similar tastes. Accepted. Proposal accepted. Oh, thank God. Okay, cool. Because um, I feel like I want to, every restaurant you've listed, I've been dying to try. And we have very similar tastes in the bars that we'll go to after. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait. Have you been to Apotec? Yes. Wait. Okay. One of my greatest nights out ever in my life in New York was centered around Apotec. Mine too. Wait, really? Uh, mine was. Wait, have I told this story on the pod about the night at my my night at Apotec with the concert that started late? I have told that story. It was just like I had this night where we ended up stuck there for hours um, because we thought a concert started at seven and it didn't start till eleven, so we had four oh hours God. to kill. And we made like best friends with the server, and that that bar is so special and one of like I feel like the most like legit like. It's a speakeasy because it's, like, hidden or whatever, but it doesn't feel kitschy or fake. It's, like, a legit spot. Yes, yes. I 100% agree with that description. And another favorite is Mother's Ruin. Love Mother's Ruin. I yeah. The, the dressed-up tecates at Mother's Ruin are one of my favorite summer drinks there is. Yum. Wait, so Love let's it. do... Wait, can we do, like, Chinatown food and then Apotec and then Mother's Ruin? Done. Oh, Done. okay, perfect. Rachel, this was like one of my favorite episodes. This was so, so fun. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Um, truly, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seasai. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to VinePair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. <laughs>